3: You, 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 you
4: Alright, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where just like the Lakers, we are still working off the feasting, the gifting, and the litness of Christmas Day, and just trying to get back into a normal groove of things, especially with regards to podcasting. So with that said, Merry belated Christmas to everybody. Fellas, welcome back. Happy holidays. Merry belated Christmas. How was your guys' festivities?
5: Everything was good. Got to relax. I don't know something about this year christmas i think because it rained in la for the first time like ever (laughs) a few days before christmas so on christmas day it was just such a nice day the sky was clear you know the sun was out it was it was like a a very nice la christmas
4: alan tell us how your christmas really was i feel like tommy was just i don't know i don't i have no idea what he just said Uh,
0: so surface level um so
4: surface level give us the real meaning of christmas
0: yeah it was trill
4: it was trill (laughs) so with that said we hope everybody had a very trilly litmus or a very litty trillmas isn't that right alan damn right tommy you got to get on board with uh hashtag trill did we tell you that's what we're that's our new initiative for the new year so
5: we're not lit anymore we're
4: trill now i mean we're still getting a little bit lit but we're trying to keep it a little more trill you know what i mean do you know what that means by the way i have no idea what that means oh that's perfect just keep it that way (laughs) Speaking of which, I also want you to start using it more profusely around Nicole, your girlfriend, and see if she just get, if she gets just as annoyed with this new word, especially because you have really have no idea what it means. So just keep keep it trill and start using it around her and see what happens. All right. <laughs> cool. Uh, with that said, yeah, we hope everybody had a great Christmas or happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrated. I'm sure everybody had time off in general. So hopefully you made quality use of your time, whether that's just lounging around, spending time with friends and family watching the Lakers, yada, yada, hope everything was swell. With that said, we're back to podcasting, and the Lakers played against uh, the Jazz last night, and they played against the Clippers on Sunday and won on Christmas Day. Tommy, you were actually at the the Jazz game yesterday, correct? I was. And if anybody saw the pictures that I posted, which Tommy texted over to me, you had very good seats. Tommy, where were you?
5: Uh, We were row, or section 119, row three. So there's two rows that are, like, actually on the floor, like right behind the bench row A and B. So we were technically like five rows behind the bench. Woo. Yeah, it looked like you could almost like touch those guys if you wanted to
4: really hard.
5: Oh. Touch them really hard or try really hard know. to touch them?
4: Yeah, which one? There you go. Try really hard to touch them. I guess I could do either.
0: Yeah. And or.
4: But they were really good seats, and I'm sure it was a very lit and trill experience, which which we'll get to in a bit. Before we get to that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, the less times Thomas Robinson will do anything else other than rebound and dunk input backs with the ball. So with each new review and rating, we are preventing a Thomas Robinson dribble and bad pass. So rate and review. Speaking of reviews, there was news today that the Lakers worked out Donatus Montiunis, and he had a very good workout. It's just that... The Lakers were, were worried about whether to give him minutes and what that would do to the rotation. So I guess everything's still up in the air. But with that being said, we decided to have him come on the podcast anyways and read today's review. So without further ado, Donatus Matiunis.
5: This review is called The Sharpest Audio Entertainment for Hard. I get the, the rest of the titles cut off. By Wooden Center All-Star. LLP, LLP does a great job striking a balance between the type of Lakers conversations you'd like to have with your bros and a fully professional podcast. If you're the type of fan who keeps up with our hashtag Youngcore on Reddit, BR, which I think is Bleacher Report, and social media week in and week out, the level of detail and coverage this podcast provides will serve you well. If you're a casual Lakers fan, the lax and comedic atmosphere of LLP will serve as a great vessel for you to learn more about our team. (laughs) <laughs> there, are, there are more technical sources of Laker stuff out there, such as Laker's film room on YT, YouTube, but nothing is quite as addicting to follow as Laker's legacy pod. How would I describe LLP in one word? Lit. It's lit.
4: <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know how to respond to that. All I know is Donatus Matunas, probably the greatest reader we've ever had come on this show. Donatus
0: is really dynamic.
4: He's very dynamic. He has a lot of random asides and uh, you know appendixes yeah. or whatever.
5: A lot of appendixes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope he doesn't get appendicitis. Yeah.
4: That was really good. What went into your uh, Donatus Montiunus channeling? Uh, I've been thinking a lot about his workout
5: today, and I imagined Mitch had a conversation with him, and I tried to imagine how that conversation would go, and there we are. I have to say it was very articulate,
4: and I'm not sure why Mitch didn't sign you after something like that, so you're you're amazing. All right. Uh, Let's move on and get to some actual basketball and uh, Laker talk. So before we get started, uh, Tommy, do you want to give us like some sights and sounds or observations from your very close seats at Staples last night when the Lakers unfortunately lost 102 to 100? Speaking of which, why don't we start there? How was your what was your vantage point
5: of D'Angelo Russell's (laughs) airball? Oh, my God, we were standing right there. So everybody, of course, was standing for the last shot. He brings it down you know that you could see Luke in the the, uh, timeout. I actually didn't even realize, because you know Staples, if anyone's been to Staples, I haven't been to that many other stadiums, but the facilities are not really tailored to giving you all the stats and, like, relevant numbers extremely clearly. So, -hmm. like, on the bottom of the scoreboard, it says, like, in very small font, like, timeouts, but when you're sitting that close, you're not, like, looking straight up into the air to, like, see how many timeouts there are, so... It was actually really interesting because I had no idea there were no timeouts left, but I could see Luke Walton like telling everyone in the huddle, we have no timeouts. Um, and you could sort of see him like explaining it pretty much what he said. If you watch the postgame interview, he was sort of like, we have our shooting lineup out there when we get the ball after the free throws because he knew that they were going to have to foul. Um, get the ball and push it. If you know, if you miss the shot or you know whatever happens, and that's exactly what happened. He wanted them to get the ball and push it and spread the floor so that they could get a good look because they had a lot of good shooters out there. Um, but yeah, D'Angelo came down. He looked like from the second he had it, uh, like honestly, from the probably his first dribble, you could tell that he had no idea what he was doing. Um, he got this look o- expression on his face that was just like pure confusion and he just sort of dribbled it to one side and you at first i was like okay it's good that he's being patient and not just like blindly diving into the lane but he just like he he waited way too long he let the jazz who were like one of the best defensive teams in the nba like fully set their defense like they were there was no scramble mode going on at all it was like just any other half court set um, and yeah. he just sort of dribbled it around and pretty sh- soon there was two seconds. He actually did like this really nice, like sort of s- half stutter step and like pull back. But the second it left his hands, like we were at the perfect angle and it was like, that's not even going to be close. <laughs> yeah. And yes. uh, it wasn't like, I, I think it probably would have been more crushing if it left his hands and it was like, oh my God, that looks like it's going in. And then it like spun out or something. But, right. It, from the second it uh, it left his hands it was like oh sh- that looks like it's gonna be a foot to the left or something it yeah. ended up being like a foot short and a foot to the left um but it was yeah no, it was pretty ugly but all in all it was a good effort. Um,
4: I think for me when I was watching the I don't know how it felt like to you like in person but when I was watching it on TV I kind of had the sense even after even though he looked like he didn't know what he was doing I was like he's gonna take this shot you know I don't know if you had that sense but I was like he's gonna take that shot and yeah actually when he shot it I was actually pretty confident because I've seen D'Angelo Russell pull off that type of shot before so Mm -hmm. I was like yeah take it you know you might because I think with that stutter step he did he actually created separation. It was only Joe Ingles that was on him, right? So I I thought he actually got a pretty good shot given the circumstances when it was all bunched up just the second before that. So when he took the shot, I thought he was fine. You know, he's taken farther shots than that and more difficult shots. So I was like, yeah. And then
5: I saw the the result and I was like, Exactly. The shot, the the crazy thing was it was definitely in his range. Like you said, it was Joe Ingles. So he did this little like stutter step and he created a ton of space. I mean, on TV, it kind of looked like he had a good amount of space, but in real life he had like a ton of space. Like, and he doesn't elevate that much. So he was able to like follow through and I don't know, his shot was off like the whole game. He was coming up short on everything. So I, I don't know what was wrong with him. Like maybe he just didn't have it last night or whatever, but, uh, yeah, I, I sort of got that sense. It's like, I think he came down the floor and when he couldn't get it to Lou Williams, it became sort of clear that he was just going to take it himself. Um, and everybody else was just kind of standing around, but I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think once he didn't push as hard as Luke wanted him to push at first and the jazz got like semi set on the way on the, on the other side, he probably did the best thing that he could have done at that time. Um, the only thing, again, that would have been better is if he just like the second he got it pushed as hard as he could and then tried to get them off balance and then tried to kick it out to like Swaggy or Lou or something. But I don't know. I, it wasn't it wasn't the worst shot I've ever, although the result was horrendous. It wasn't the worst shot we could have gotten at that time. But Alan, what were your thoughts um,
4: of the game in general? And I guess you could work off of the the shot because Luke Walton admitted after postgame that, you know, he didn't really give the guys a plan B in Mm. case Rudy Gobert missed his free throw and they were only down by two. So the play that they were going to run was always going to be designed for a three-pointer. So it did look like things were discombobulated. And overall, you know, the game was a very competitive game. If we take away the last, I don't know, minute where things broke down, especially on the defensive end with Julius Randle. You know that play where Joe Ingles is wide open for three Uh, and they just show Julius Randle in the paint wide, like doing nothing. Like literally nobody was near him and he was just like just staring at nobody and was led you know like a lead statue and I was like oh my god and Julius Randle played like an amazing game but to to end it like that was really disappointing and to see Joe Ingles wide open for three and like no communication going on and then obviously the D'Angelo shot after that it was just kind of kind of spiraled but you know overall I think the Lakers played a very competitive game um, all throughout and there was a lot of effort you know even in spite of the fact that D'Angelo Russell didn't have you know even a decent game the Lakers could have pulled this out so what were your thoughts
0: yeah, I think what sucked the most was Julius put together a great game, and then at the end, like you said, he had the the defensive laps where he didn't switch. Um, he was stuck in the paint. I think he thought Lewell was going to go cover the corner, but um, he got screened off pretty good, and it was it's pretty evident that Angel- or sorry, Julius was supposed to stay um, on Joe Ingles. So, you know, ball watching has been a theme for our team defensively, and Julius mm-hmm. isn't the only one guilty of that. And then uh, Julius missed one of the clutch free throws down the stretch. He made the first one, which is typically the hardest one to make at the end yeah. of a close game. So when he made it, I was like, "Oh, this is great!" You know, he, he's kind of over that uh, mental block that he's hit recently with regards to the line. And then he missed misses second one. I thought, "Oh man, like what a what a bummer <laughs> that he, he had such a an overall such a great game." Uh, but other than that, I thought defensively we played really well. Uh, the fact yeah. that so many of our guys nick and d'angelo shot poorly yet we were in it the whole game and we were even leading um for a good chunk of that good chunk of the game um and and utah is a great defensive team too of course so you got to give them credit um so overall I, i guess it was an encouraging game since we've put up so many you know horrible efforts over the last few weeks um there were many times where it really felt like we were getting back to the basics of what we do as a team and what our identity is. So of course that's encouraging. Uh, Yeah. And as far as the end of the game, Jonathan, I'm like you, at least on television, it did seem like he was moving, you know, too slowly. Um, Often when the game's on the line and you don't call a timeout, it can be better since the defense doesn't have an opportunity to actually set up a play. But D'Angelo was so chill about it. It's like, okay, well, you just let them get back without any issues. And there are like five guys holding Lou Williams above the three-point line so he wouldn't get a touch. And it's like, all right, well, D'Angelo can do his thing. Uh, John Ireland even compared it to uh, the summer league game against Philly. It was about the same distance and the same angle. Um, so I was relatively confident. Even when I left his hand on TV, you can't really tell. But, uh, yeah, it sucked that it fell short. I like that he has the guts to take that shot, yeah. even though Tommy, you said he looked extremely confused. Yeah. You know, you, you, there's only a matter of seconds for a guy to compose himself and and just live with it, and he did. At least he didn't force a pass to Nick in the corner that could have yeah. resulted in a turnover or something. So, yeah. uh, out of everyone on the team, he's the guy that's going to do it. And he even said in his post game remarks that. Yeah, he can live with people hating on him for airballing it and things like that because he's very comfortable uh, being that guy. Yep. So uh, that's a good thing to see. And I mean, he did hit he, ha- he was like fading left uh, on a pretty deep jumper in the fourth quarter. And with him, he just needs to see the ball go through one time. And he has ultimate confidence. So it didn't matter that he was shooting two for whatever. Uh, just the one shot alone in I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like Kobe. Like, Kobe has had off nights. He hits one shot, and you're like, okay, I want him to take the game winner because he made the one, like, five minutes ago. Uh, And D'Angelo, because of past experience, you kind of get that feeling. So, yeah, wish we could have had that one. I I was pretty confident. Um, But I'll take that over blowing a 19-point lead any day.
3: Napa no how
0: napa guy knows
3: the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it instead let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level and with over 500 parts and a little napa know-how he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is it's not perfect but it's perfect for him that's know napa know-how napa know-
4: Sure. Yeah. And, you know, someone made a point, I forgot who it was on Twitter, but they were like saying that uh, the problem with giving the ball to Lou Will in the clutch is that one, he's too small. And obviously the Jazz knew that Lou Will was going to get the ball, which is why they pretty much like double, triple teamed him. But outside of that, even if it was single coverage, Lou Will is small. And the things that Lou Will likes to do pretty much get negated in the... yes. Like, 30 seconds, you know, like, he's going to try and draw a foul. Like, they're not going to call no a foul on him, you know? Foul. Exactly. He's just going to have to try and shoot a three, and he's not the greatest three-point shooter, especially if it's contested, you know? Yeah. So, that that's why, for me, it was like, okay, well, D'Angelo has the ball anyways. It, we might just get a turnover if he, like, tries to pass it or something. Mm-hmm. They might get more confused. So, I was totally fine with the shot. It's just, yeah, I think... I mean, my final tweet after the game was like, oh man, this guy's going to get skewered. And I just have to give props to Luke Walton for shouldering the blame, you know, whether or not he really, um, meant to do that, which I think he was genuine about it, but even if he wasn't, you know, the fact that he deflected yeah. and allowed, um, you know, people to, to put it on him instead of D'Angelo was, I thought very commendable and took a lot of pressure off D'Angelo to, and it was a very reasonable, you know, um. Argument that he made that it's like you know I didn't give them an, another play. We thought that it was going to be a three-point game, and the play was always assigned for designed for a three. So I'm glad that Luke Walton did that and kind of helped shoulder the blame, which is not something that we didn't see at all last year with Byron Scott. In fact, it would probably be more hammering. Like you know, he D'Angelo needed to you know look for the hot teammate or whatever. Or he needed to um, be a little more smart. his yeah. shot selection. Yada, I, I, yeah, so. I
0: think Byron would have said he needs to be more aware of the situation at that time. Mm. And that's it.
4: <laughs> exactly. What else about this game before we move on? We're pretty much just, Today we're just going to pretty much touch on this game and then lightly on the Clippers win. Um, outside of that, we're going to talk about just some CBA implications and how that will affect the Lakers moving forward in free agency. And then we'll end the show with some New Year's resolutions for some of these players. So, uh, Tommy, I'll, I'll swing it back to you and just ask you, being at the game, being there in person, what were some things that were highlighted to you, whether that's positive or negative from any of the guys or just the flow of the game in general?
5: Uh, One thing I realize that you really, really notice when you're sitting that close is how physical the game is. Um, It's really on both sides, but oh, my God. It's like you watch the Utah Jazz play on TV, right? And you're like, okay, this team gets away with murder. Like they're a really good defensive team. But I swear they're extremely well coached. You know, they're a veteran team and they know what they're doing. And, and basically what they do is they foul you like they're pretty much fouling the entire game. And what happens is that like when you're watching it, it just like from the second the ball is tipped, they're playing physical. And what that does is like it it almost trains your mind to just accept like they've inter- you know, you hear people talk about, quote unquote, setting the tone they set the tone of physicality so well and so early. Like the second the game starts, they're fouling everybody. And basically what what that does is like, it trains your mind to just accept that as the status quo. So once you accept that as the status quo, you're only getting called for fouls that are like egregious. It's not like most games that are played nowadays where, you know, so many teams, including us, to be honest, are finesse teams. Um, And so, you know, a little touch foul on the perimeter is going to get called against us. Those types of fouls do not get called against the Jazz. I'm going to say, like, we got called for 21 fouls. The Jazz got called for 18. I'm not saying that's like, oh, the refs, what were they doing? You know, like, it was it was a great game. Nothing to do with that. It's just the Jazz plays so physically, so physically that they don't get called for anything unless it's really obvious. Like, you hit someone on the arm when they're driving or you, like, body tackle somebody. You know what I mean? It's, like, really blatant fouls. So the physicality of the game... I think was the thing that stood out the most. And honestly, being that close, you could really then tell why Brandon Ingram has been struggling so much because, Oh my God, he just flies around. Like the second he gets touched by anybody, he's, his body's getting knocked like two feet back props to him because he seems like he kind of likes it actually. Like he doesn't really shy away from the contact. Um, I'm trying to think of what else like, Oh, another thing I've been saying this sort of the last couple of weeks, at least to you guys, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but, D'Angelo Russell whether or not he's putting up minutes I know he shot horrendously and probably overall it might have seemed like he had a really bad offensive game he impacts the game so much when he's on the floor I Jordan Clarkson if you just looked at the box score it looks like he had a much bigger impact on the game than D'Angelo but I think that couldn't be farther from the truth mm-hmm. whenever D'Angelo's on the floor the offense is just cl- like moving so much more fluidly. You have a guy who's he wants the ball every time, he doesn't hold on to it. I feel like so many times last year, we would he would get caught like over dribbling and he wouldn't know what to do. And he was like an invisible guy out there. And this time, this year, I mean, even even when he's not shooting well, just like the way he pushes the ball, the way you know, his size, like. The way he's able to find guys, I think he's getting better at making the simple passes. He played 25 minutes and only had one turnover against one of the best defensive teams. Not to say that he was matched up against like an elite point guard, you know, he's matched up against Shelvin Mack for most of the game. But Shelvin Mack was pressing him like the entire game, um, and he was really up in his in his uh, in his grill the entire time. So I thought D'Angelo, despite the numbers, played an amazing game, and I think Luke sort of said something to that effect as well. Uh, what else? Julius Randall looked really good. It's he. I think he looked um, much more in control. He's much better when he could just take a hit and, you know, just go with it. And sometimes he gets into the paint and it looks like he spazzes out a little bit. Yep. <laughs> but, uh When he is calm and he just, like, takes the game as it comes, he's so much better. Um,
4: Well, how was it when, like, because I was most impressed by the way that he would um, try and body up Rudy Gobert and kind of lower his shoulder into Gobert and then all of a sudden be able to finish above him. How was that in person? I was like, how is he doing this against Gobert? It was extremely,
5: extremely extremely impressive. He had no fear. It's like he saw Gobert in there and he literally didn't care at all. Um, and he he did exactly what you would say. He would use his speed to his advantage, and then once he got into the paint, he would sort of bump Gobert off balance so he couldn't get, like, a, a firmly planted, like, mm-hmm. two-leg jump. And then he would yeah. just, like, softly put it over him. And, you know, Julius is like any other player, and he's young, too. So, like, sometimes those soft floater shots don't go in, and it looks like a bad play. Mm-hmm. But honestly it's it's like that's the only way you can attack Gobert and for a guy like Julius who like his outside game isn't really developed at this stage still that's the best he can do and when his floater is going in you know like that's really all you can ask from him and it seemed like his shot was going in in this game so he was being more aggressive offensively and as opposed to the game you know right before this one against the clippers he had more assists so i like to see him adapt to those kinds of things um there was, there was a play where he... I can't remember if he got the steal or he picked the ball up off somebody else's steal and he pushed it himself. And it, it's like the same thing. When he pushes it himself, it's like everybody's expecting him to pass. You know, it's, it's so rare to see a big man push it all the way, like coast to coast. And so I think teams are just like... It's just instinctual to like look for the big guy to like try to pass it to somebody because he's not going to take it all the way himself. And so he'll like... He's not even going max speed, and I think that's the biggest difference between this year and last year. Last year, he would just take the ball and charge as fast as he could to the other side, and it would result in him getting out of control a lot. And I am i don't know if this is just, like, becoming more mature or somebody actually sat him down and showed him tape, but... It seems like now what he does is he he runs fast. He runs faster than most guys with the ball, but not like his max speed. And then once he gets to like the three point line of the opposite side, he like accelerates. And Stu Lance always mm-hmm. talks about that like change of pace. And I think Julius um showed that a lot. H- has improved with that a lot, I should say this year. Uh so yeah, that was that was really impressive. You you see so much weird stuff sitting that close, man. Like <laughs> Like, uh, you get to see a lot of, like, how guys approach things in different ways. Like, Timothy Mozgov is all business. When the, when the game is on, this guy is all business. He is not messing around. He's, like, not joking around. He's, like, fully engaged in every huddle, whether or not he's playing. He's, like, talking to all of his teammates. And then, like, on the flip side, not to, like, call out Uh-oh. Swaggy P, because he's having, like, a great season, right? But you have Swaggy P, like... You know, these girls are sitting, like, in the first row behind the bench. <laughs> and they're, like, all done up. Like, they're going to a club or something. You know what I mean? And they're all just, like, sitting there and, like, smiling and, like, waving at Swaggy P and, like, trying to get his attention. And you could tell he, like, sees them over there. But, like, he's trying to, like, play it cool like he doesn't really see them. And, like, he's, like, joking around with Meta World P's at, like, the end of the bench. And, like, uh and again, that's nothing against Swaggy. If that if that's what works for you, that's what works for you, but it's it's just so interesting because I think I think like Kobe Bryant. I never sat that close for a game when Kobe was playing, but I'm sure Kobe would have been more on like the when I'm on the floor, I'm not talking to anybody. Don't talk to me. Like we'll talk about the game yeah. and otherwise I'm just not going to pay attention to you. But it's really interesting to see that. Oh, and another thing, Luke Walton approaches timeouts in a very Phil Jackson way, um, meaning that he basically doesn't talk to the team at all for like, you know, a timeout's like, what, two minutes, two and a half minutes or something for like mm. the first at least half, if not more. He doesn't say anything to the team. They're all in the huddle together. You see guys either resting or sort of talking to each other. And he sort of abuse it from the Phil Jackson way of like, I'm going to get in there and talk to you guys for like 40 seconds or 30 seconds. And I want your like full focused attention because if I'm in there talking to you Mm. for two minutes, I'm going to lose you. Yeah. So that's what he does. And it's very interesting. He'll like step out um, to like not mid court, but like, you know, quite a bit away from the bench and it'll be him and Brian Keefe and uh, Brian Shaw and Jesse. And uh, they'll sort of, sit, you know, talk about stuff and like maybe drop a play or something. And then 40 seconds will hit on the clock and he'll jump into the huddle and tell everybody what to do. So it's it's pretty interesting to see him coach. I think he, he's really effective. He he's he plays it so well in terms of being super, super demonstrative. And like you can see him, his anger and frustration growing when these young guys make these mistakes but when he turns to them, it's never yelling. It's never like a negative tone. It's never any of that. So it's like he'll turn to Jesse and say like, what the F was that? <laughs> or, you know, like, or like call out like guys to like Jesse and Brian Shaw and like look so pissed. And then the second he turns to the player, it's all positivity and all like, you know, just teaching and like trying to encourage, but like tell him like, hey, you messed this up, like next time do this. You know, so it's it's I think he's it's really interesting to watch him coach.
4: Yeah. So what you're saying is he keeps it lit with the coaches, but trill with the players. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what
0: I'm
4: saying. <laughs> awesome. So that's no, but thank you that's the
0: definition of those words. Got it. <laughs> yeah, so. it's, it's, it's
4: actually not. But <laughs> Um. no, that is some great observation. And I don't think you're going to get it anywhere else, man. Tommy, what, two rows above the bench. That was uh, some great insight. Thanks for sharing, Julius Randall stats wise also had a good game outside of the eye test 25 points 12 rebounds three assists nine for 12 from from the field one last thing Tommy how did his three his desperation three point shot look uh-huh. are you guys like oh god what is this oh
5: no yeah, yeah. just like everybody else I'm sure everybody else <laughs> felt like oh god it. hopefully it hits the rim so he could try to get a rebound and he just chucked it up it was a line drive like Nobody thought any it had any chance of when honestly when he made that shot, I was like the basketball gods are on our side and we're supposed to win this game. <laughs> because it just like it was such a prayer, but he he hit it and uh it was not a good looking shot. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> he'll he'll brick some wide open ones and he hit a lucky one there, so I guess it all evens out. Was the atmosphere lit? The atmosphere was trill. <laughs> nice.
0: Did, did you feel like the atmosphere was different down there compared to where we have sat in the past, like two hundred sweet type level. No, honestly,
5: I feel like, and that's one thing. I feel like uh, I don't know if this is a, a if this is like a byproduct of the Lakers not being yeah. as good, maybe, but it's it's honestly the same to me. And mm. you know, I feel like in the old days there was this whole thing of like, oh, the people down in the lower level are like they don't want to cheer and like they don't want to go nuts. Oh, another thing I noticed was like so many people were standing at the end of the game. I don't know what it is. When you watch it on TV, it doesn't it looks like everyone's sitting the entire mm-hmm. game. Like there were so yeah, many moments. Tell. It's so hard to tell. So I feel like I watched the game and uh I went with Victor's, our friend Victor's. So like we could see ourselves. We, we we DVR'd it and we came back and we like we could see ourselves the entire I time. <laughs> wow dude honestly
0: when i was watching the game anytime it was on that side of the court i found myself just staring at you two and not watching the game (laughs) because i just wanted to see your guys reaction so it took me so long to finish this game i I kept rewinding i'm like damn it i missed the entire possession because i was just staring at victor with his lower marion jersey and tommy with his uh which jersey did you i know you wore a black t-shirt under a gold jersey but what, what was jersey was
5: that, Tommy? I was wearing my uh, number four Luke Walton jersey. <laughs> oh! <laughs> that I got in 2006. Yeah! <laughs> oh, man. I was trying to, before the game started, I was like yelling at Luke so loud. Me and <laughs> we were both yelling at Luke, and I was standing up and waving my arms like a, <laughs> like a psycho, trying to get him to notice me. And this guy was, like, not looking at anybody oh in the stands. God. He was, like, just so engaged. And then I, it didn't hit me until that moment that, that these guys probably get yelled at so much. And probably the only person who, look, who would look in the stands if you were yelling at them would be, like, Swaggy P or something. <laughs>
4: right. You know, I, I changed my mind. That is the true definition of trill right there. 2006 Luke Walton jersey, yelling at Coach Luke Walton, waving your arms. That is trill. The problem
5: is, like, it doesn't say Walton on the front, obviously. <laughs> so yeah. like, if he was looking at me, he's probably thinking like, oh, this guy's got like a Byron Scott. Or I was like, there's no way this guy is sure. thinking. There's no way this guy is thinking, oh, that guy's wearing a Marcelo Huertas jersey. Because I realized Huertas <laughs> is number four. And then I was like, honestly, kind of hoping that Huertas did not see me. Because if he saw me <laughs> and like pointed at me and gave me a thumbs up, I would feel really bad.
3: <laughs> if he thought I was wearing his
5: jersey. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Me and Victor, we watched the DVR after the game, like, just, like, a few minutes. We didn't watch the whole game. But we were trying to look at the key parts where we know we were reacting really intensely. And honestly, on the TV, it doesn't look like anybody's going nuts. That section was going nuts when uh, we were, you know, the last six minutes of the fourth. And honestly, the whole game, people were super engaged. We were sitting next to, like, these two French dudes And uh, I don't know if they were from France or we didn't really talk to them, but they were like super into it. And these guys knew everything and they were like really, really like legit fans that honestly more legit than a lot of people you see in like the 300 level. So I think it just varies. You know, you get a mix of that and then like contrast that with like the two girls behind us who were talking about like – where you should shop in Brentwood for literally like 2 hours. I'm not kidding you. This one of the girls took the other girl's phone and was like typing in names of shops and like where to go in oh. Brentwood cuz I guess the other girl was visiting from out of town or something. So yeah, it's it's like a mix of like the LA crowd but like also people who were super intense and into basketball. So it was pretty nice.
4: You should just have just worn your jersey backwards so that your your Walton thing was there.
5: Yeah. So,
4: um, anyways, let's try and wrap this up real quick um, to finish this recap. Um, Alan, what did you think of Brandon Ingram? Because I thought, even you know, his stats are not going to tell the whole story. He had five points, two assists, two rebounds. But I thought his movements on the court were super decisive, super confident. He was, like, doing fancy dribbles all of a sudden, crossing people over. He had a really nice pick-and-roll pass to a trailing Thomas Robinson for a wide-open layup. Um, I just thought he looked so fluid and... Like like a different player, really, Mm. last night. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I feel like when he got that technical against Austin Rivers the other night, something changed, you know? Like, you could sense it in that game against the Clippers um, that he turned up his aggression and his confidence. But it could have had, like, a spillover effect where something just clicked in his mind. I, I totally agree with you that he does look a lot more confident and the things that he does are very intentional now as opposed to sometimes like accidental, you know, and um, I mean, defensively, again, he, he's very solid. That hasn't changed, but I think his playmaking has really impressed me. Uh, his his whip around passes and his bounce passing where he's like spinning the ball around guys and things like that. I mean, it's easy to forget that he, he played point guard for such a long time in his life when he before his growth spurt. So you're seeing those skills appear right now. And we didn't see that at Duke. Because of his, his teammates, but here in the NBA he's able to yeah exactly um, he's able to put those things on full display, which is awesome and um, yeah I man I, I definitely think he's playing a lot better and getting more comfortable with the with the speed of the game the physicality Tommy I like what you said about him enjoying that contact he said that in his post game comments actually that he likes the contact and it's it's fun for him.
4: Yeah. Um, Do you have any other any observations? I'm going to close this out. But if you had any other thing you want to bring up about a a particular player, go ahead.
0: Thomas Robinson is really good. (laughs) Um,
4: Yeah, when he's not dribbling the ball and and passing. Yeah, when he's when
0: he's doing too much or put in a position that he shouldn't be in. Of course, he um, has limitations. But when it comes to his hustle, obviously. But I mean, he even hit that mid range jumper on the baseline. You know, and it looked pretty fluid. Obviously, we don't want him taking that shot or that really being an option, but at least we know he can knock that down. And like his tech, his shooting technique looks pretty good. Uh, I feel like physically there are fewer flaws with his jumper than with Julius's. Um, I'm not saying he's a better shooter than Julius, but just mechanically speaking, it, it looks better that one time and he can put the ball on the floor. You know, he can pump fake it like the free throw line and drive two dribbles and, He can use both hands, which is is pretty refreshing. Uh, So he's a guy that I think will get a guaranteed contract uh, pretty soon.
4: Yeah, for sure. To close this out, uh, my thoughts on D'Angelo Russell, kind of like what Tommy was saying, I didn't think he had as poor a game as the stats would suggest. Um, He shot two for 11, didn't hit a three, but he did have three assists really early on, which I thought that was going to lead to a really great game because it, it would just suck that he didn't get his next assist to like the fourth quarter to Julius Randall. But outside of that, I thought he was trying to feel the game out. Obviously, we'd love for him to be aggressive, but I feel like he was trying to get his shots, but he was missing he would he was driving it into the lane, you know, pretty easily. He was just missing his like flip shots or his floaters. So I didn't have a problem with any of the shots he was taking um the last shot, notwithstanding. but, yeah, I, I just, he, just, he just wasn't able to hit his shots, really, is what it came down to, and you just hope that he'd continue to be aggressive. I'm still waiting for another one of his breakout games where he just gets fully hot and on fire, but I, I'm not going to skewer him like some people are doing on NBA Twitter and whatnot, so... I think that that's my last uh, thought on this game. It was good to see Lou Williams get hot again in the ways, in the way that we've seen Lou will carry the team. It just sucks that these days it doesn't seem to result in wins. Clarkson had a decent game, you know, 12 points, five rebounds, three assists. He did have three turnovers again. Um, You know, they competed, they played great defense. You know, Luke Walton called the activity and the energy and the hustle. He said that it was one of their best efforts of the year, and and I'd agree with that, especially I think there was this one stretch either the second quarter and also the third quarter when the bench unit came in, led by Luau Deng, surprisingly enough, that they were just like defending, they were like scrambling, they were trapping people. Luau Deng was... Getting these crazy weak side blocks on people. I mean, they were everywhere, and they were frenetic, and it was it was fun to watch, you know, so hopefully they can continue to carry that. So I feel like they've looked better the last week or so since um most people have come back you know unfortunately we learned that larry nance is going to be out for about a month or so which is why the lakers decided to work out donatus montiunis so hopefully we can just uh tread some water here in the meantime and it seems like we'll, we'll be able to do that but hopefully they can take these last two games with them and continue to progress so tommy i'll leave it with you if you have anything else to to say in terms of observations or or whatnot
5: yeah the only things i'll add are uh I think my main criticism of Luke's coaching right now is that um, I think he sits D'Angelo for way too long. And I don't know if like he knows something we don't know or like he I, maybe he doesn't feel that D'Angelo is, is having the same impact that I think I see or maybe you see, but it's going to be hard for this guy to get hot um, and be a consistent offensive player if he's sitting on the bench for like 12 plus minutes of game time. Uh, pretty much in each half because he'll go out around like the, you know when there's four minutes left on the clock in the first quarter he'll go out and he won't come in until like five minutes left in the second quarter and to me that's way too much with all the timeouts and all the sitting around and like he comes out and it's like he has to complete he's he's too young you know like he's not ready to do that kind of thing right now I feel like If you're going to play Julius Randle 31 minutes a game, you should be playing and Brandon Ingram 31 minutes a game. I know that's like sort of out of necessity, given Larry Nance's injury and Tariq Black's injury. But I think you have to be playing D'Angelo more minutes. And I'd like to see Luke, you know, to the extent Clarkson is having a decent game and Lou Williams is having a good game like he has been most of the season, maybe try some three guard lineups. You know, you have this guy D'Angelo, who's got a really good wingspan and good size for a point guard, I'm not saying he can defend every small forward in the NBA, and honestly, you might get burned a little bit. But to me, the impact that he brings offensively is worth it. Um, and honestly, it might it might force him to to try a little bit harder on defense because he knows he'll be playing like outmatched a mm-hmm.
2: little,
5: uh, maybe against a bigger guy or somebody who like theoretically should do well against him. Maybe that'll like give him the little push he needs. Um, as opposed to like chasing Shelvin Mack around the perimeter or something like that, you know. So uh, and the only other thing I wanted to add was seeing this game live really puts into perspective how much why I think we need like a legitimate backup seven footer who can Mm -hmm. move his feet on the perimeter, because Rudy Gobert is like not a fast center by any means. And despite that, we had to close the game with Julius Randle guarding him because Timothy Mozgov just could not you know, when the game devolves into purely pick and roll, which happens in the fourth quarter of close games, Timothy Mozgov cannot be on the floor because he cannot do anything defensively um, in those situations. In the first half, he's fine. Um, and I just think we need to... I don't know how we're going to do it. But we I don't know what DeMontis is like as a as a defender on the perimeter, but we need to get somebody who can at least at least like disrupt the pick and roll a little bit because if we have to close with Randall Dang as our four and five while Nance is out, it's going to cost us, I think a lot of these games.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Length has been our biggest problem and not being able to uh, rebound the ball, especially in crunch time and not having Mozgov out there because of the lack of speed has been uh, a big problem. You're right. So, so yeah, hopefully the Lakers, they have a very winnable game next game um, at home tomorrow against the Mavericks. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki's back, but, you know, the Lakers are, are, have been playing a lot better the last two weeks. We just need to see them actually pull, push forth uh, in the fourth quarter here and execute down the stretch. And, you know, that I know that's something that Luke's been trying to work with them on, being better closers and uh, learning how to maintain some big leads here. So that's been another problem of the Lakers, like being, just relinquishing their huge leads to teams in like a, man, a matter of two minutes, pretty much. So, Hopefully, they can improve upon all those things. Um, And with that said, we will turn it over to our next segment, which will be we'll be doing a little of CBA talk and just talking about how the new CBA will affect the Lakers moving forward as soon as, you know, maybe this trade deadline, as soon as this summer, and how it'll affect their free agency approach. And then we'll quickly end it with some New Year's resolutions of what we want to see some of our core guys and maybe even the coach improve on. So we will do that right after the turn.
3: Napa Know How. A Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa Know How, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa Know How. You play basketball? Yeah.
0: I hate that sport, man. <laughs> oh, shit.
4: All right, so we are going to be talking about CBA for just a little bit and talking about how the new CBA structure will affect the Lakers moving forward. I mean, there's the biggest things about this new CBA is the exceptions that they grant teams now to keep their superstar veteran players i think you can still sign sign guys to extensions uh that only applies to guys who have contracts for four or five years so lou will will not apply to a guy that you can give an extension to but like i said the biggest thing will be one the cap is going to rise by 2020 i think to 120 million right now it's at 98 or something like that so obviously everybody's going to get a whole bunch more of money. The max right now for a superstar player is in the 28 million to 30 million range. That's going to be the norm moving forward. But the biggest twist, or not really a twist, but it's pretty much the Kevin Durant rule, right? Because he left Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City couldn't really do anything to to keep him from leaving because You know, the money disparity wasn't that great, but now it's going to be with this new rule. The designated veteran player exception, and this exception applies to players entering their 8th or ninth season. These certain players, they can be offered a a max contract, a contract extension of 6 years, which is crazy, worth up to 35% of the salary. And this applies to players who, they have to earn all NBA honors, whether that's 1st, 2nd, or 3rd team, or be named Defensive Player of the Year in the previous season, or in two of the last three seasons. Um, so this would apply for DeMarcus Cousins because he made the All-NBA season last year and will probably do so again this year, whether that's that's probably the second or third team. And for DeMarcus Cousins, he'd be eligible for a six-year $210 million extension, which is crazy. So with that said, that gives um, teams a lot more ammo to keep their superstar players. So DeMarcus Cousins, Paul George. I think this would apply to Gordon Hayward as well starting this summer. So a lot of superstar guys who you would expect to be hitting the free agent market are probably not going to anymore. So Tommy, I'll, I'll swing it to you and ask you, how do you think this changes the Lakers approach overall moving forward?
5: Um. Well, how I, th- how I should change their approach and how I think it's going to change their approach, I think are two different are two different answers. I, sure. unfortunately, I think, I don't know it maybe this is me being a little bit too negative right now but I feel like we're stuck in this like still this like old guard mentality of this is how we've always done things so this is how we're going to do things now and uh, I feel like we're still stuck in this mentality of okay we have our young draft picks we drafted but we'll sign someone in free agency and I think for all the reasons you just said nobody has incentive to leave anymore it's not even like Kevin Durant well where it's like oh I'll take a minor pay cut to win like four rings or something now it's like so much money that no rational human could walk away from the team that drafted them yeah. um you know it's a global game you're traveling so much during this 82 game season anyway and you're making so much money you just live in the city you want to live in during the off season you know you could have like 10 houses it doesn't matter but uh, <laughs> uh so that's so that's how i think it's I don't think they're actually going to change anything, but I think what they should be more focused on is trying to get guys through trades, um, trying to get guys through free agency, which unfortunately has not been a great uh, mode for us the last couple of years. Uh, And by, by guys through free agency, you're not going to get an all-star. So I'm talking about literally like trying to find these like diamond in the rough role players, Who will like hopefully be your third or fourth best player, assuming your young guys you drafted turn into the stars that you expect them to be. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're not doing that, then it's seriously it's it's going to come down to just drafting. And I think that a lot of the Lakers are going to have to take a long, hard look at the guys they have and think like, okay, who on this team can be a contributor on a contender? And if you think a person can't be a contributor on a contender or you think you have a big hole that you're not going to be able to fill through free agency, I think you have to really, really focus on um, on trying to see how you can acquire somebody through trade. Because another thing that's happening is like so many teams now have tried this Oklahoma City model of rebuilding where let's just stack our draft picks and uh, and see what hits so the thing that's going to happen now is there's going to be a lot of teams that have redundant talent and this talent that they're going to move is maybe not all-star talent, but it's good talent that you can't otherwise get. I think one example that we've talked about a couple of times is Willie, Willie Cully Stein. He's on a team with like five centers, you know, he's got like him, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, who could theoretically play center him, DeMarcus Cousins, Scal, uh, Costa Kufis. Papa Giannis, if they trade Willie Cauley Stein for like a player of need, like maybe somebody who plays a guard position, those are the kinds of trades teams are going to have to start like really seriously looking at now. It's not just, oh, well, let's go with what we have and we'll try to sign someone because I think signing someone who can legitimately help you or like, you know, push the needle, I guess, is is going to be a lot more rare now.
4: Yeah, for sure. Um, Alan, do you have any thoughts on the CBA and how you think the Lakers, how it'll affect the Lakers and how you think the Lakers should approach it moving forward?
0: Yeah, hopefully they adopt a new new age mentality, so to speak, And I, I can understand the skepticism as far as Mitch and Jim approaching things the way they always have. I think one glimmer of optimism could be in that I feel like they asked Luke for some input with this roster. And Luke has gone on record saying, you know, I like this guy and Brian Shaw likes Mozgov and blah, blah, blah. In the past, I feel like they didn't do that with our coaches, even if it was Phil. Like, I feel like Phil would say, oh, well, it's not my job to control personnel. I just coach whoever I have on my team. Uh, I don't know. Does that seem correct as far as your guys' memories concerned?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think they, yeah, Luke has a, a voice. and. Yeah as part of free agency and trade. So we'll see whether that's actually true moving forward, especially as the trade deadline approaches. So. Yeah.
0: So I think in terms of adopting a new school mentality, that's one step in the right direction is actually getting your coach involved in these things. And Luke seems like the type of guy who would understand exactly what you just talked about, Tommy, that we can't go about uh, free agency, just trying to hit home runs. We need to hit singles. And I mean, Luke has used that exact analogy in games so hopefully that'll shed some light and Mitch and Jim are open-minded and think that Luke has the credibility uh, to influence them in that way. If that's the case, and I know we, we glorify Luke a lot, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to be like, oh, you know, he's our, our hope and as far as free agency and that type of approach. But it could be an indicator um right yeah
4: and can i interject real fast on on that topic of the lakers trying to go for home runs or what they've been doing recently this these past three years is just kicking the can down the road now we see where that hurts the lakers right because we see that the most valuable contracts are the random contracts we were all freaking out over (laughs) two years ago right that we're like oh what Draymond green just got 13 mil a year that's crazy chris middleton just got 15 mil a year All those contracts look like bargain cheap ass contracts. And if the Lakers had just done that with actual solid guys, like AKA, like someone, even just someone like Eric Bledsoe, who's making 13 mil a year and still has two years left, like that contract is all of a sudden amazing, you know? But the Lakers decided to do that, what? this year and they're not even that bargain of a contract with Lou dang and timothy mozgov you know yep. so if they had only tried doing that strategy earlier instead of kicking the can down the road trying to find a superstar we might be better suited to you know move forward instead of like quickly scrambling because if realistically the lakers have one shot and it's 2017 this summer to do something and from there it's really just going to come down to trades because julius, Rand- julius Randle's julius randall's uh Rookie extension is going to be coming up, you know, and they're going to have to pay him. So um, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for them to try and make a, a move for for a big piece or anything like that, especially with the new CBA. So it's really up to trades on from this point out point on. And then also 2017, what are they going to do in free agency with the money that they do have? And I think We talked about this earlier just in private, but it's really going to be this core moving forward. It's going to be hashtag fresh organics. Like, the team you see is going to be the the core. Don't have any dreams of, like, bringing in a Gordon Hayward or even maybe even a Serge Ibaka from free agency because teams are going to be keeping their guys. I mean, actually, Serge Ibaka may be gettable because he's not going to make an all-NBA team, but... But yeah, th- this is our core moving forward, and it's going to happen through trade if we do get a superstar and Mitch is going to have to move around some pieces. And like Tommy said, with regards to if they do have cap space and they are going to go after free agents, they're going to have to be ahead of the curve in terms of uh, analyzing which guys they think will pop. You know what yeah. I mean? It's going to be have to be a diamond in the rough kind of guy who's shown some potential but hasn't broken out as a superstar yet so this is like a lower end example but like Harrison Barnes right you know like people saw potential in him Um, and not to say he's having an amazing season but I think he's having a way better season than people thought right he's Dallas's leading scorer he's their best player with more opportunity he's actually done well with that so he would be an example of the types of guys that the Lakers would want to look after or like a Bradley Beal right who has some sort of like problem but he hasn't put it all the way all together But the Lakers take a chance on him and Mm -hmm. then spend their money on him. And then he ends up popping and becoming like a fringe all-star or something like that. So the Lakers are really going to have to be creative in free agency and spend their money wisely. And if, if they're not looking at that, then they just have to find a bona fide... Role player who's gonna who they know is gonna play their role perfectly. So I wouldn't mind if they went out and got a Kyle Korver type player who you know that guy will shoot threes and play defense and we're fine giving him this money because we're not gonna be able to spend it on anybody else. You know. So those are gonna be their bare options to work with. It's either get creative and and get ahead of the curve and find somebody who hasn't popped yet, or just get a legitimate bona fide role player who's going to fit our core well so so yeah that's really what the cap is going to do we we can't i think in in, in a sense it's actually good that these superstars are no longer in our faces because we always tend mm-hmm. to hope for them well now that's off the table right so it's like time for the lakers for an office to adapt and i think tommy you've talked about before if you want to jump in about how you wish that there could be some sort of shift that happens right
5: yeah, and I think for me, it's it's just like, I don't know what it is, uh, but I feel like we're entering this like new age, you know what I mean, where people are finally putting away like the old guard. And I feel like for a long, long, long time, and I don't know how long, but I swear since like I started watching basketball, so, you know, like over 20 years or something, the mindset has always been, oh, well, here here are the grades that came before. This is like what all these people did. This this is what all these managers did. This is what all of these front offices did and it worked. So let's try to emulate that. And I feel like now we're shifting into like sort of challenging authority. I don't know if that's like the rise of the millennials
0: or what, you know, what it is, but <laughs>
5: it's, it's sort of this, this like young, like fresh new approach to things. And it's like, okay, yeah, that worked before, but for X, Y, and Z reason, I don't think logically that would work now. So why don't we try something new? So I've actually been a big proponent of trying to get a new face in the uh, front office, maybe like a Ryan West or, you know, something like that. And I know he has a role with the team already, but, um, and I'm not, you know, if you listen to this podcast from the beginning, I'm not like a gym bus apologist, but I'm definitely not a gym bus hater. I'm definitely not a Mitch hater. I really like Mitch, actually. But I feel like one of those two guys has to go. Um, And I'm not saying go, like, get out of here and pack up your bags and (laughs) never come back. I'm saying, like, step aside to a different role in the front office and let a young guy, like maybe a Ryan West, like I said, step in and give like a young approach because the problem with these two old guard guys that we have now is that they're just going to reinforce each other. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. Oh shoot. We didn't get a wing, like the wings we wanted, like Kent Baysmore declined us. DeMar DeRozan signed the first day. Um, Solomon Hill declined us. Apparently if you read that article, I think that Chad Ford wrote. Um, mm-hmm. So let's like panic and overpay for Luel Dang. Because the only way we're going to get them to come here is to give them that extra fourth year that nobody in the world wanted to give them, <laughs> And we're desperate for a wing. So stuff like that, in my opinion, could have been prevented if we had a young guy like Ryan West, who just to be like play devil's advocate and be like, hey, look, I know that like Luol Deng is solid and I know we want veterans and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we should mortgage our future. By signing a guy like Luol Deng where we can get somebody else's a stopgap and we'll figure it out, you know, next summer or via yeah. trade or whatever. Um, Rudy Gay was a, you know, expiring contract who has been like begging everybody in the world to <laughs> trade for him. That yeah. could have been an option. I'm not saying like the Kings would do it or like God knows what we would have to give up. I'm just saying that like like i feel like this like let's panic the free agency is our only chance we have to do it we have to do something we have to like send a message these are all like old school ways of thinking of things and i and i think that uh if we had a fresh fresh mind um young mind in the off the front office it would it would help a lot ryan west is in the front office but somebody making those types of basketball decisions i feel like he's mostly doing draft stuff and you can see the results because our draft has been great our drafting has been great but uh Somebody like that making decisions when it comes to trades and free agency.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. And with the way that the the new CBA is coming in and, and everything's kind of sort of changing and the landscape's changing, I think it would be good to start that transition process before it's too late, you know, instead of like doing it cold turkey, maybe slowly start to do it at least at the very least. And I think they're trying to do that. They've they've done, they've made progressive steps in the last couple of years, but I think it it might be time, like you said, to hear a new voice. So Alan, do you have anything else to say about the CBA moving forward?
0: Uh, No, no, I'm good. I I definitely agree with the uh, get some young blood in there, just a fresh perspective. And like you said, Tommy, you're not, we're not looking to push out. Jim or Mitch completely just like you said take on take on another role. It's it's kind of similar to what the Dodgers did in baseball. Their general manager was Ned Colletti, and he's an old school guy that has a great track record. He's a wonderful general manager, and he's currently an advisor. You know whatever that means. It's essentially okay. We still want you involved with the team in some regards, and we'll give you quite a bit of freedom for input, and we're obviously going to listen to you. But in terms of the day to day operations and things like that, we're going to go with these other young nerds and Andrew Friedman and Farhan Zaidi and whoever. So uh, I could absolutely see the Lakers following that model.
4: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how teams juggle this, especially the teams that no longer have cap space versus the teams that do have cap space, but don't have any uh, buddy to spend it on. I guess my last question on this topic would be, how do you guys think this affects trades and the way that players try and get themselves out of their current teams you know because a six-year extension is a long time and do you think this will hurt the players leverage because the team is like hey buddy we got you for four more years you just got to sit sit still and uh, play for us pretty much because we have the leverage so do you think it's going to affect the way players are going to be able to impact their own movement i don't think it's going to
5: impact that as much just because like I mean, it it, it will, under the current CBA, the if you are ha- retaining your own player, you can sign them up to up to like five years, right? Anyway, or is it even six?
4: I think it's five.
5: Okay, yeah, but it's still like a good amount of time. And I mean, I, I think it's going to be pretty much the same. There are going to be cases where you have like these Rudy Gay types who, in the last couple of years, they're just like blatantly trying to get out of their contract. And the team is just going to say, like, hey, you're under contract. That's – it's business. Deal with it. And I think there are going to be other cases where, you know, that kind of thing happens and there's disgruntled players and those players get traded. But it's all – you know, it's all contextual. To me, it's really hard to say really how that stuff is going to change because there's so – the teams have so much power now um, in terms of being able to retain their young guys. So – and I just don't know. And again, this is – you know – the new era of players like these, this young millennial generation, I don't actually think they care where they play anymore. Um, I think in the old days, they cared a lot. I think now they just want to play and make an impact and win games. And they want to, you know, everybody's like concerned about like creating their own legacy. Like people don't want to go to Chicago and be the next Jordan. People don't want to go to the Lakers and be the next Kobe. People just are happy playing in Phoenix and being like one of the all time great Phoenix players or playing in Brooklyn and being,
0: yeah, Go that's ahead. like DeMar DeRozan. That's exactly what he said mm-hmm. for Toronto, is Kobe already did it over there, and I want to do what Kobe did up here. Exactly.
5: You know, so it's like that attitude, I think, is something we haven't really seen before. And there were still, like, a few players who fell into the, like, let me jump ship, like Kevin Durant, you know, because I just want to win, and and that's what it is. But the way that the CBA is built now, it's like, no, that that stuff is not even going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of trades... I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, you have to keep in mind, Darren Williams was traded under the old CBA, right? Where you could sign like seven (laughs) year contracts and he was still able to get himself traded. Mm. So those kinds of things are going to happen still. Um, It's just going to be like the, you know, once in a, one in a million, like Darren Williams, um, James Harden type trades where you're trading like, five young assets to get one guy. Uh, So there aren't that many teams in the league that have the ability to, you know, maybe the 76ers will make a trade like that in a year or two or something, but there aren't that many teams that have all these expendable assets to just throw out to get one guy. Um, So I think, I think trading all stars and signing all stars are, it's like going to become more and more rare. It's going to be about drafting your guys and signing the right you know, role players and free agents. Yeah, agency. and I
4: think one thing that changed is I think under the old um, CBA, with regards to trading, do you remember the percentage you had to match? I forgot what the exact percentage, but I think that percentage has risen to account for the boom in money everybody's getting. Essentially, so there's a little more leeway in terms of matching good, everything. Yeah. So, but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how teams juggle their their cap space and accounting for all this stuff. So. We will see with regards to the Lakers, like we said, it's going to come down to them kind of just making a little shift and being a little more creative. And really, this next summer is going to be crucial for them because this will be essentially the last year that they'll probably have this much calf space. And hopefully, we'll see them one, either make a trade for the future that's going to benefit us, or two, actually bring in a player who could fit the young core well. That's another young, high upside player, or just a really good role player that fits a need, the shooter, or like a Big man rim protector, another backup big, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, we're going to see.
3: Yo,
1: everybody get up. Everybody get up. Everybody needs to understand that I'm more than simply a hype man for this rap group. Just like Geico is more than just a company that can save you money. Geico also has fast and friendly claim service, so they can help you when you need it most. And while I do love being a hype man, I also love reading for children's audiobooks. Like little Bo Peep, she lost a sheep and she don't know where to find them. Yo, Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, with that said,
4: let's close the show out with some quick New Year's resolutions on like, what we'd like everybody to improve on just in terms of the big young core and also Luke Walton. So I will start with uh, – let's start with D'Angelo Russell. With D'Angelo Russell, I hope for this new year that, one, if his knee is still bothering him, that hopefully he just gets a full bill of health and that it stops bothering him so that he can be more aggressive. I just hope he cuts down his very lazy passes and bad decision-making because that those – turnovers that he gets always lead to instant buckets so the faster he can clean that up the better everything will flow on the offense and the more he'll be able to get into a flow himself so yeah I just hope he starts games off more aggressive stops the flashy plays like Luke Walton says the simple leads to the fantastic and sometimes D'Angelo has that mixed up and yeah those are my main critiques for D'Angelo Russell this year and hopefully he begins to diversify his game a little more and just starts hitting his mid-range jump shot again because that's an element of his game that's been kind of sparse this year. So, Tommy, what about you for D'Angelo?
5: Uh, yeah, the mid-range game, I I really, really want to see that come back. And I don't know if he got too excited with Luke's up-and-down three-point shooting uh, system. He takes, like, a good... I mean, he's hitting a, such a good percentage for a second-year player from three that it's hard for me to criticize the amount of threes he's taking. But... I'd I'd like to see him get that mid-range game back, um, and just like have more focused energy. Like you bring it up in the in the sense of not making those lazy passes. I feel like he's kind of a lazy jump shooter at times. You know what I mean? Like he gets into the mid-range, and actually, our friend uh, Pete, uh, Lakers film room, had a tweet about this that I didn't really it didn't really click with me until I read this tweet. But he was like. I really want D'Angelo to stop leaning backwards mm. on his mid-range oh. jumpers. And mm. that's so true. He he takes yeah. mid-range jumpers like in a game as if he's just like shooting around with his friends at, you know, at like yeah. on a random, you know, off day. Y- you need to take those shots like you were <laughs> focusing all your energy to get the shot off and hit it. And I feel like he's way too casual about that kind of stuff. It works on his threes because. He's uh, he takes the threes often so far out that the guys, you know, people can't really defend it anyway. And his release is so quick. But when he gets the closer you get to the rim, the more your size is negated. Right. Because there's less distance for the ball to travel. So, you know, if you're being defended by a guy who's a couple inches shorter, he's going to fully contest that kind of shot and bother it much more. And if you're taking super lazy shots like that, it just it opens it up so much for for defense and I feel like that's what's sort of happening to him so I want to see him improve improve on that do
4: you remember that picture you showed me of his jump shot and the text I sent you I was like is that a jump is that a jump shot or a dance
5: move (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) but that's honestly that was like five minutes before the half started he was just like taking random uncontested you know mid-range jumpers he hits them it looks really smooth in warm-ups you can't shoot like that (laughs) in the game though
4: yeah for sure Alan what about you your new year's resolutions for D'Angelo
0: yeah I agree with those are exactly what my notes were for that, is everything you guys just said. Uh, but if I had to pick, like, one thing I really want to see from him in the new year is discover his bread and butter. And I think we've all alluded to it. It's it's the mid-range shot. That should be uh, something that kind of defines him, you know. And, again, it's great that he's making threes at such a high clip, but you, you just don't want to settle on that, you know. When you're having an off night, um, he has – such an advanced game. Like how much do we talk about his old man game when he was a rookie? Um, but he doesn't utilize it for some reason this year. So I would love to see him. And we talked about this earlier, um, you know, putting guys in jail, letting them ride on his hip and then pull up for a mid range jumper. Who knows? Maybe his health is hindering him in that regard. Same with posting up because that does require you to elevate over guys. And we all know he doesn't jump very high when he shoots, so it could be a health thing. That could also be the reason he's not playing as many minutes, but he has an advanced offensive array of moves and it would be nice if he implemented those things more. And then, like you said, making the easy play because it's there. And I don't know, maybe he just still hasn't gotten used to the you know, NBA caliber competition where he sees something, visualizes it in his mind and then forces it, but mm. you just can't do that. So that old experience will uh, help that process come along. But those would be my main things.
4: All right, let's move on to Julius Randle. For me, it's very simple. It's to be more consistent and to continue to be controlled and not get so spastic like we've talked about. And also to have a more consistent level of energy and effort on both ends, especially the defensive end. No more falling asleep. Um, it's so apparent, especially with Julius Randle, when he's not gauged, because he just no. turns off like a ro- like a robot. He just dies, and you're like, "What happened?" You know. <laughs> um, but but especially because he's so he's the exact opposite when he's like has a full steam ahead. You know, like such a different player. And if he could just maintain, just be more consistent with his energy and his activity on both ends, and maintain that consistency, it, it would be do wonders for this entire team. And hopefully, he can continue to be efficient whenever he go drives it into the lane, and we see less of those like two-footed jumps where he just flings it and then it hits like the glass or the backboard so uh that main thing and to continue looking for his teammates like he has been doing so uh
5: tommy yeah sort of along the same lines uh just getting better at reading situations um he only just as an example from last night he only missed three shots but one of the misses he had the defense, and this is something that James Worthy was probably just like cringing when he saw this, it's like the defense will be completely giving him the, he'll be on like, if we're facing the basket, the left side, okay, so he's backing you down, and he wants to spin to his right shoulder so he could shoot it with his left hand, right? Hmm. But the, when you're playing against NBA players and they have any semblance of, like, a good coaching staff who can, like, give you a scouting report, anybody in the world can tell you Julius Randle wants to shoot with his left. So they gave him – it was, like, literally all he had to do was spin over his left shoulder and he's going to have an uncontested right-hand hook shot from, like, two feet away. There was nobody. They're giving him the whole paint wide open. And he still spins into the contact and yeah. takes, like – a horribly contested shot that he broke, and that was only one of his three misses he still had a, a great game but those kinds of things uh, can be corrected if, if he just gets better at reading which I think he can because he's a uh, I think Julius is, is he continues to surprise me every time I watch him play I think he's ultimately going to become one of our best players but if he
0: isn't already but uh that's one thing I'd like to see him improve
5: on Ellen
0: yep. yep totally agree uh, that right hand um just becoming ambidextrous. I'm sure he knows it. You know what I mean? Like how, how can you not? It's just in that moment, like what's the more appealing alternative? Uh, and for him, it's just, let me see what I can make happen going in the way that I'm comfortable, even though that's like banging your head against the wall trying to break it. So it's just going to take time in the gym for him. Uh, like you said, the mental aspect for sure. Again, he if basketball were all on paper and <laughs> it were like a written test, I'm sure he would pass. He's not stupid. It's just when it comes to, I don't know, like the heat of competition, he, he lets things just get to him. And uh, that's part of being young for sure. Uh, I'd rather have that than an apathetic player, you know? So if he can channel that energy in a more effective way, um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that'll, that'll come along with time. Um, but as far as this next calendar year, what I want to see the next last few months of the season Uh, would be for him to play like he did last night as far as being patient. Um, Again, he could have tried to jam the ball down Gobert's throat last night, but he really did take his time. He was very methodical with taking it to his chest, getting the separation. I thought that was an ideal game tape for him that um, if he needs a refresher at some point when he's in a lull, he should just watch that and get back to it. Because Gobert is clearly one of the best Uh, defenders in the league and it surprised the heck out of me that he was so effective against him.
4: And also if he can just continue to uh, hone his jump shot, that would be great. Um, Tommy, why don't you just do Jordan Clarkson? I'm sure all of our answers will be the same. And then I'll do Brandon Ingram. Alan, you close us off with Larry Nance, which should be easy. So what do you want to see from Jordan Clarkson?
5: Uh, From Jordan Clarkson, two things, one, and most importantly, uh, more consistent defensive energy. He should easily be our best defender on the perimeter. And Nick Young is at 30 or 31 years old, however old he is, this is like, in my opinion, much better. Like it's not even close. Um, And number two, stop this over penetration business that he's doing because it's just it's completely negating to to me that negates any positive, any positive thing he does he'll hit these like ridiculously good looking shots in the paint and through traffic and he'll break his guys down off the dribble sometimes, but that's always canceled out by like a few times where he just like takes a horrible shot and Luke lets him have it sometimes, but he needs to clean that up a lot.
4: All right. um, For me, for Brandon Ingram, I think he's been steadily progressing. And if last night's any indication, he's definitely on the right track in terms of becoming more aggressive, becoming um, more sure of himself and I just like him to keep being aggressive and the biggest thing honestly is hitting a o- damn open shot you know what I mean like that's been Brandon Ingram's biggest problem this season he can hit these awkward one-legged one-footer fading jump shots and weird floaters and stuff but the shots he hasn't been able to hit are the wide open ones and we've talked about his shooting mechanic where it's like I don't know what his problem is but everything is so hard. Everything is so long whenever he's wide open from three and he just needs to soften up his shot more, put a little more thick touch in it or something. And uh, yeah, I think that's a very correctable thing to do because I think once he starts hitting his open shots, then really get that feeling and get into a flow of things. And then, obviously to continue to progress his playmaking skills and continue to hone that, which I think he's been doing a good job of and and not be afraid to take some risks or make mistakes. But overall it would be just aggression. um, And once again, just being able to hit his open shots and becoming more consistent with his three point shot and jump shot, because once he puts it all together, it's going to be very scary. So um, Alan, what about you for Larry Nance?
0: Uh, Beyond the health of his knee, I would say to be more aggressive, Uh, He passes up so many open jumpers. Uh, He probably averages about two (laughs) passed up shots per game that he should definitely be taking. Um, And he's kind of like Brandon Ingram in the sense that if the shot clock is winding down and he shoots it, I feel like there's such a high percentage that it goes in. Uh, So when he has that wide open jumper, he should just take it. Other than that, yeah, there isn't a whole lot else to complain about other than he shouldn't. Uh, underestimate his own abilities, and it's like that curse of being so unselfish, which is not a curse, but he's a smart guy, Uh, I'm sure. Who knows? Maybe over these four weeks, he'll be able to, I don't know, like determine why it is that he has that tendency, and Mm -hmm. then when he comes back, uh, maybe he'll be able to implement that in his game. For sure.
4: All right, with that said, oh, one last guy. For Lou Williams, my New Year's resolution is that he turns into Willie Colley-Stein and Garrett Temple, or Jody Jody Meeks and the Orlando Magic's first-round pick, which should be like a 14-15 pick. So that's my New Year's resolution for Lou. And, you know, we love Lou, but we got to turn him into an asset, especially with the new CBA. Um, But the last guy we're going to talk about is Luke Walton. So, Tommy, what is your New Year's resolution for Luke?
5: My New Year's resolution for Luke is to sort of get out of this rigid mindset of like, I have my five man rotations I like and I play them for this many minutes together, you know, at these times in the game, sort of get out of that. Like we shocked the NBA, the first 20 games of the season. And, um, now it's time to, now it's time to, uh, you know, just, Go with what works. D'Angelo needs more minutes, in my opinion, and show some adaptability as a young coach.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. You know, Luke's been doing this uh, very egalitarian socialist kind of thing with the team where like the minutes are all (laughs) spread out and everybody's doing well. But now it's clear it's hurting the team and their development and some guys, it's starting to affect them mainly D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson could be another candidate, and it's time to really just, you know, play the players who you know will be part of the young core through the mistakes, through all that, and just see if they can fight through that, you know, and like you said, I I've, it's time for Luke to get creative again, and not creative in the weird ways where he's gonna play uh, Luau Deng for 40 minutes all of a sudden, we're like, okay, I know he's playing solidly, but I, I still don't trust Luau Dang when he's out there, you know, like, play the young guys, so yeah, I think adaptability for me, creativity, and just moving away from the egalitarian, like, let me space out the minutes and everybody just has a even game sort of thing. So, yeah, D'Angelo needs more minutes as well. Alan, what about you?
0: Yeah, playing D'Angelo more, uh, putting Dang at the four more is also going to be right. good. Uh, he's mentioned it uh, a couple times in interviews. And. I'd also like him to have a third different type of voice that I can imitate in the upcoming year. I like the low voice. I like the yelling voice. I want <laughs> I want something else to work on.
4: <laughs> what do you think the third voice would be?
0: Like an extremely excited voice, like when he's giddy. <laughs> like when a guy does something really well, I just wonder what he does, you know? It's not the yelling voice, I'm sure. It's like probably a scream of some sort, which is still not very high, but that's what I'd imagine it being, so... We'll see if we see if I get my wish there.
4: That'd be amazing. So hopefully Luke has taken down all these notes, and we'll see all of that come to fruition in the new year. With that said, that'll do it for our show. Ran a little long, but this'll be it for now. Since till we get to New Year's, hope everybody has a happy New Year. 2017 is what Sunday. It's crazy. Yep. Um, but yeah, hopefully the Lakers win against Dallas, and I think we play Toronto on Sunday, and maybe we can shock the world there. But we'll see. Steady improvement, steady progress. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us, that's how many more times Timothy Mozgov, not Nick Young, will start flirting with the girls in the third (laughs) row. (laughs) And Nick Young will start taking things more seriously. So a little switcheroo there. So, yeah, rate interview us and also follow us on our blog talk radio page blogtalkradio.com slash lakers dash legacy and also we're also on the almightyballer.com page as well with that said happy new year's guys i will catch you guys later
0: later hey girl you looking pretty good over there why don't you come holler at me you look real (laughs) shrill.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.
2: BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises